message today comes to us from the book of Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. It reads like this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the blessed word from our Lord. Awesome. Well, I want to say good morning to everyone who is here. Uh, this is my favorite week of the entire year. It is the most exciting week on our campus. It is a kids camp. And just so y'all know, this will be the first time in three years that we get to have kids camp in person on this campus. And that is exciting. Yes. Yes. So well, we're going to continue in our study of Colossians uh, this morning, and I have entitled my sermon, The Deception of Man-Made Religion. The Deception of Man-Made Religion. The term deceive means to mislead, to cause to believe what is false or disbelieve what is true. Like, let me give you an example. Some of y'all thought that you wouldn't be out of your comfort zone coming to Grace Community Church this morning. So you have been deceived. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, to give you a real illustration, imagine if you would, I've been doing kids ministry for a long time. I have played a lot of games uh, with kids here at church. And imagine I just played one-on-one uh, -on -one basketball with fifth graders every single week. And I, and I was playing them every single week, week in and week out. One would assume that because of my age, the size that I'm, the fact that I'm bigger than they are and my experience playing basketball, that I should win. I should beat them every week, right? And let's say that I do. Let's say week in and week out, I'm playing basketball against these fifth graders and I'm wearing them out. And so what will tend to happen is in my head, I'll begin to think to myself, well, I'm really good at basketball. I never lose. I'm really, really good. And let's say that one day after I teach Old Testament up at Montreat, I decide to go to the gym. And I decide to play a little basketball over at Montreat. And I go up there and I find some college basketball players who uh, are doing some shoot around and we wanna play in a quick pickup game. And I challenge one of their all-conference guys to a one-on-one -on -one game. What do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> well, he's gonna, he's gonna wear me out. And the thing is, is that I have deceived myself in thinking that I'm good at something when in reality, I am not. It took being exposed to the truth to realize that I'm not what I thought that I was. And we can often find ourselves deceiving ourselves. But we can also find ourselves 
being deceived by others. That so commonly happens today. As a matter of fact, deception in today's social media-ridden culture is much easier than it used to be because you hear about all these things. Everybody on Twitter or Facebook, wherever, they have an opinion about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and you hear it all the time. Even uh, the way that these platforms are set up, that if you like something, you just see more of that thing, more of the thing that is only in your world and you're not exposed to what else is out there. But the reality is, is that we don't know that we are being deceived until we are exposed to the truth. And that is what Paul aims to do in the book of Colossians. He aims to expose the church to the truth and what it means to walk as a believer in Jesus Christ. And if this is your first time jumping into this uh, study with us, we're so glad you are here. The church in Colossians, they are facing legalism and pluralism. Legalism is the idea that it's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus whatever I wanna add, it's gotta be more than that. And then pluralism is the idea of Jesus and. As if Jesus is not enough, there's gotta be There's gotta be multiple ways that we can do this. And so that's what the church is facing. And so Paul is wanting to address this because they are being deceived. They are being deceived by other believers about what it means to walk with the Lord. And his his main truth in all of this is to do not be deceived by man-made religion. Do not be deceived by man-made religion. That is the truth he is trying to get across. He calls it out in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. He immediately goes after legalism in this passage. He does so, he is addressing former Jews who have become Christians, but they would adhere to the old covenant sanctions. And now the Colossians are new believers, but they don't come from Jewish descent. But the Jewish, uh, the Jewish Christians are saying, well, you still have to adhere to all these customs that we've done for thousands of years. And, and Paul is addressing and saying, no, do not let them do this. Do not let them separate you. That's what the word judgment means. Do not let them separate you because of these festivals and because of the Sabbath and because of the food and drink or whatever. Those are not worthy to separate you from each other. He's saying, do not allow this to happen. There were festivals, there was the new moon and Sabbath, which was the worship and rest on the seventh day, Friday night to Saturday night. These are actually good things. Paul is not saying, hey, hey, they're leading you into sexual immorality or they're leading you into idolatry. No, 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 he's not saying that. He's saying that these maybe they're good things, but they're not dividing things. They're not separating things. As new believers who didn't come from Jewish descent, they didn't have to follow the old covenant rules and regulations. They didn't have to do that anymore. And so you might be thinking, well, did he say Sabbath? Sabbath is a, is a biblical mandate. It's what we're supposed to do. Well, yeah, it is. In the old covenant, it was Friday night to Saturday night. That's what it looked like. After Christ was raised from the dead, the church began to meet on Sundays. Scholars believe that it was because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So the church began to meet on that day. And so he's saying that it doesn't have to be Saturday 
Sunday. That's not a dividing thing. It's a pause addressing the deception that they are being put under. These became dividing points for the church and there were external standards that no one could live up to. It was deception. We must be wary about man-made religion. And Paul in this passage gives two reasons why we should. The first reason is this, is that man-made religion separates you from Jesus. Man-made religion separates you from Jesus. Notice he says next in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These, those things that he's talking about is Sabbath, new moon, festivals, food, drink, all that stuff. He said, those are a shadow. Now a shadow has no reality. The thing that has the reality is the object that casts the shadow. You can't see the details of the object if you only look at its shadow. The shadow is not what has the value. Imagine that you could see if a lot was behind me and it was projecting on one of these walls and you saw my shadow, you wouldn't be able to see the details of my face or the size of my small biceps. You wouldn't see any other specific features about me. You would just see a vague outline of who I am. And Paul is saying all of these things are just a shadow of what they point to, which is Jesus Christ. The substance, they all point to him. He is the substance. He is the one that gives them any reality at all. It's Jesus. And he's saying that we must look to him. You see, if you cannot see the fullness of Jesus, by merely looking at his shadow. You can't. You can't see his fullness. And when the shadow becomes the object of worship, then you no longer are worshiping the God of the Bible. And you are no longer worshiping Jesus. And what we can do is we can begin to worship our own actions, creating a man-made religion So he continues in verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Asceticism, if you don't know what asceticism is, it is extreme self-denial. It's like what a monk would do, completely separate themselves from social norms or food, anything. They completely separate themselves and deny themselves of any indulgence. And Paul is gonna call this out later, but he's saying that that oftentimes with asceticism, they equate it with humility. And that was a prevalent idea. And so he's addressing this. And then he addresses worshiping of angels. We know that in Matthew chapter four, that Jesus reminds Satan when he's being tempted that you will only worship the Lord your God, nobody else. And in Revelation, we see the angels worshiping Jesus. So the angels are not to be worshiped. And then he said, being puffed up, having a sensuous mind, Sensuous just means flesh, a fleshly mind, puffed up about their fleshly minds. Paul is seeing right through the deception, going straight inside, going straight to the heart. That no, 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 this is not what you think because this is what it leads to in verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. 
Paul has already said earlier in this book that Jesus is the head of the church. And so he's reminding them, he's using this illustration again that Jesus is the head. He mentions the body of Christ. So what Paul is not doing is disregarding the church setting. That's not what he's doing. As a matter of fact, he, he reigns it in and, and talks about how this is necessary. He is unveiling the deception of distracting traditions. That's what he's doing. He says, if you are not connected to the head, you will not be nourished with the body. That's what he says. And if I could illustrate this for you, I remember growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, we had a pear tree in our front yard. Anybody have a pear tree uh, close to where you lived or around in your yard? Okay, not a lot of you, that's all right. Um, We didn't have a green thumb. We had no idea how to take care of stuff, but we had a pear tree. And uh, the pear tree would grow and grow and grow. I could still remember the smell of pears in our front yard. And uh, what would happen is, is during every year, the pears would grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And they would get so heavy because they got so big that the tree limbs would, would like pull all the way down to the ground. And so some of y'all who are green thumb enthusiasts are probably like, you shouldn't let it do that. Like, ah, we didn't know. So it's just drooping down and then the pears would get so heavy. What would they do? They'd fall off, right? And they fall off. Well, we didn't come with our little bushels and, and rein them in. We just let them fall. And, and so what would happen to the pear when after it fell off the tree? It dies, right? It begins to rot. I, the smell of the pears that I remember the most is when the pears were rotting in the yard and I'd run over them with the lawnmower. And it would, it, would, it would slice those pears right open. And if you've never smelled a rotting pear, it does have a rotting smell, but also a sweet smell. It doesn't make sense, I realize, but I will never get that smell out of my mind. Is the smell of, of, of a rotting pear being cut by a lawnmower blade, all right? So, but the, the, the point that I told you that was that the pear falls off the tree and then it does what? It dies. Why does it die? because it's no longer connected to the source. So Paul's warning here is that if you are not connected to the head, which all these things lead to, if you are separated from Jesus, then unlike the nourished body of Christ, you will not be nourished, you will not grow, you will die. That's what he's saying. If separated from the head, which is Christ, how do we know this? John 15, Jesus himself says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For from apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus himself warns them about not being connected to him. I am the vine and you are the branches. You'll be alive if you are connected to me. If not, you will be cut off. To be nourished, we must be connected to Jesus. To grow, we must be connected to Jesus. To bear fruit, we must be connected to Jesus. And those who create man-made religions worship the shadow and are not connected to 
Jesus. That is Paul's warning to them. Do not be deceived. To take this even deeper, we understand here that through what this says is that Jesus holds the body together. He says, uh, and holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joint and ligaments. We are connected as believers only because of Jesus Christ. It's not from, it's not the fact that we may be in small group together. It's not from that we're from, all from Crooked Creek and we just know each other. It's, it's, it's not about that. No, we are connected because we've been first reconciled to Jesus, which allows us to be reconciled to each other. He holds us together. He holds the church together. And so you may be sitting in here and you may be someone that puts way too much weight on what you do for God and not enough weight on what God has done for you. That's where you may be this morning. And because of that, what happens is your, your walk with God sways back and forth. It goes this way and then it goes that way. And you live in a perpetual state of guilt. That I can never be enough. I can never do enough. I'll never be what he's called me to be. And here, here's the reality. You cannot do enough. You can't. You will never do enough. You will never be holy enough. You can't do it. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many sermons you preach, no matter how many worship songs you lead, no matter how many people you serve, no matter how many ministries you lead, no matter how many kids' uh, lives you touch through teaching, no matter what it is, you will never be enough. It's only through Jesus. And if we go this way, if we go this route, then we run the risk of false humility, which leads to pride. And then we are separated from Jesus because of sin. The sin that separates us from him, which is the second reason that Paul warns them about this. Man-made religion can't solve the sin problem. Man-made religion can't solve the sin problem. This is pivotal. Every religion that has ever existed attempts to solve this. Many of them say, if you do enough, if you do enough, if you do enough, it'll make up for all the wrong that you have done. And some of them will, will blame it. On, on systems or political ideals. But here's the reality. The pain and the error that comes in this world come from sinful human beings, period. That's, that's what it comes from. That's what scripture tells us. The idea though of sin has become distorted and that's why it's become confusing today. As a matter of fact, not only has it become distorted, it's being put on display as okay. It's no longer called sin anymore. That we just accept it for what it is because this is how God's made us. And even though there are parts in the Bible that call this out, it's, we really shouldn't call it out though. And so it's become confusing. It's become confusing on what is right and what is wrong. You see, man-made religion can't solve the sin problem. It was men, humans, who started the confusion in the first place. And guess what? We can't give a resolution. We can't. Man-made religion never will. He bridges it right here in verse 20. 
if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Elemental spirits are, are basically another way to say human principles, human precepts. There's another way to say that. And this is crucial. But because of our union with Christ, we are no longer controlled by human principles or human ideas. We are controlled by Christ himself. We are connected to him. And any worldly idea that has taken root in us has died with Christ through the crucifixion and our sin was crucified with him so now that we can walk in newness of life. You see, the book of Galatians, Paul wrote to the church in Galatia because they were facing similar issues and he says this to them in chapter two, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now you hear me when I say, when we talk about where, who is solving the sin problem? Well, it says right here that it was crucified with Christ. Our sin was nailed to the cross. It was Jesus himself who, who came to earth and said, I'm gonna fix this sin problem that has separated man from God for so many years. I'm gonna lay my life down and be a sacrifice for them and their sins will be atoned for. If there's anyone who is solving the sin problem, it is Jesus Christ. What was on his shoulders when he went to the cross? My sin. What did he take for me? when I was eight years old and accepted his free gift of salvation, my sin. You see, man-made religion cannot solve the sin problem, but Jesus can. Jesus can. He says here in Colossians, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and a severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What does this mean? I mean, they give off the appearance of humility, but they aren't. They give off this aura of, of, of something that we would admire, but it's not. No, denying yourself of something doesn't take the desires away of that thing. If I could give you an example here, Adrian used this uh, illustration before, and I'm gonna borrow from him, which I'm sure he's borrowed from somebody else. <laughs> I hope if you're listening, I love you. Um, imagine, imagine if you, if you will, you, you smoke, you're a chronic smoker and you're trying to quit. And so every single day you, you, you say, okay, today I'm not gonna smoke. I'm not gonna smoke. I'm not gonna smoke. I'm not gonna smoke. I'm just gonna stick with it. Well, if anybody's ever tried to quit something like that, what almost inevitably happens? You smoke. Why? Because even though you're like, I'm not gonna do this, you're still just thinking about smoking. That's just always prevalent on your mind. What if I were to say, to set your goal higher? Set your goal higher. Let's say your goal is not to quit smoking, your goal now is to climb Mount Everest. Well, if you're thinking about climbing Mount Everest, you're not even thinking about smoking anymore, right? Now we were made was for so much more than just the denial of our fleshly indulgences. 
because just denying ourselves doesn't take it away. But walking in obedience with Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to move in us does. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit moving within us does take those away. You see, man-made religion has an upward or, or, or does not have an upward focus, but following Jesus has such an upward focus that we're not worried about it because it takes care of it inside of us, work inside of us out. Notice that Paul here talks about self-made religion. Self-made religion is different from man-made religion. Self-made religion is this. It's defined as worship, which one prescribes and devises for himself, contrary to the contents and nature of faith, which ought to be directed to Christ. See, this is different because this is establishing your own form of worship. It is, it is taking uh, pieces of something and, and creating something very new. One popular theme and wave of this that's out there today is that the only thing that you have to worry about is you and God. Don't worry about scripture. Don't worry about the church. Just worry about you and God. That's all you have to worry about. So if anyone is sitting in here and you are fall in this line of thinking, or if you're a teenager who has been exposed to this line of thinking, then hear me when I say this, that this argument is actually not even intelligent. It's not. It is so wrong. How can you have Jesus without the church or without scripture? You know who Jesus is because of what has been said about him in scripture or through the attributes of God of which you find in scripture. You can't abide in Christ if you don't believe in all that he has to say in scripture. You can't pick and choose what was said about him and say that I really like this, but I, but I don't like that he said this. You get all of them or you get none of them. That's how it is. Jesus is also the founder of the church. He founded the church. The church is his bridegroom. He came and died for the church. He sustains the church. He's the head of the church. The church are his children. You can't have a relationship with Jesus without a relationship with other believers. According to what Paul just said, if you're not connected, then you're not being nourished. You're not growing. You're not bearing fruit. You gotta be a part of the body. It's illogical. Paul says that these thoughts and ways of thinking appear wise, but you know what they don't do is solve the sin problem. They don't serve or solve the, the sin problem. So do not be deceived. Do not be deceived by man-made religion. Man-made religion separates you from Jesus because it is only outward focused. We will never be holy enough be, because of our sin. But earlier in Colossians, he addresses this. You see, it's not us who become holy by our mere merit. It's through, it's through Christ. He says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You were able to approach the throne of God, not because of what you have done, but because Jesus dressed you up and presented you to God the Father. It's because of him. It's because of Jesus reconciling you through his death that you can do this. Man-made religion doesn't solve the sin problem because it doesn't acknowledge sin. 
It doesn't observe that God has called us to be greater than what we think. And you might even be sitting here saying, Al Michael, you're only saying these things because it seems relevant today. No, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. You know why? Because the human condition hasn't changed. And if Christ hasn't come back in 2,000 more years, it's gonna be the same. There have been many religions that have come and gone and they don't solve this, but Christ who does. So two questions that I want you to consider from here. The first one is this, do you abide in Christ or in your own good deeds? Do you abide in Christ or in your own good deeds? And the second question is this, do you worship Jesus as Lord or do you pick and choose what you want? And by that, I mean, do you worship him as Lord over everything? Everything he says, everything that scripture holds to and adheres to, what is sin? Do you, do you worship him as that? Or do you pick and choose what you want? And so I realize that this passage of scripture doesn't really end on a high note. And so what I'd love to do is I'm gonna start preaching through chapter three, okay? So y'all just strap in. I'm just kidding. I do wanna read what Paul immediately says after this in chapter three, and then you'll hear Jerry preach it next Sunday. But I wanna read this because Paul switches gears so fast. If then you have been raised with Christ, so I wanna stop. Earlier he said, if with, if with Christ you died, and now he finishes it, if you were raised with Christ, okay? If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, you were so good. And Lord, I praise you. I praise you for being a God who saw the human condition of man and had a plan set in place to reconcile the lost to himself Oh, we were sheep without a shepherd. We were lost. We were hopeless. We tried to make things work on our own, but they don't work. But because of Jesus, because of Jesus, the sin problem is resolved. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you and has never accepted your free gift of salvation, that today would be that day that you come in, that you move and transform them into a new creation, that you begin to work, begin to work out their faith. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.